What, what do you need to survive in trouble or during tribulation or trials? What is it that you rely on as an individual to get you through difficult times? How can you survive a disaster when things are falling apart in your world? Who or what do you trust in when your survival is at stake? When Hurricane Gustav was bearing down on New Orleans in the fall of 2008, city officials made an evacuation. So that's one way we can survive a a trial is completely run from it and just get out of town. Now, I highly recommend that in a hurricane situation. As a matter of fact, we should all listen to the government officials. But there was There was one woman named Hattie, and she said, I think I got what it takes to ride this one out. So Hattie was interviewed by reporters before the storm and explained what it was that she had. So here was her list of things that Hattie had that were going to enable her to ride out this this terrible hurricane. So liquor, cash, food, ammo and weed. So I would not want to try to rescue Hattie if she was high drunk and had lots of ammunition. I'm not sure if that would pan out too well. But, but let me, let me ask, ask you this. Was, was she really riding out the storm? Well, not entirely, was she? What was she doing? She was escaping reality. And there's another way that we can ride out the storms in our lives is we can completely just disconnect and escape reality. And, 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 and it's sad because some people actually, in order to escape reality, turn to these things, don't they? It is clear by what this woman says here where her confidence lies is in these, these things in herself and her own understanding of how she can make it through. The disciples are about to face a storm. They don't know it's coming. But by what they say in the initial opening of this passage, we can kind of see where their confidence lies, what they're trusting in or who they're trusting in. And then we we can see what happens right after that. They think that they've got what it takes. They think that they are in a certain reality. And Jesus then lets them know that they have no clue. What we say in life, what we vocalize, represents what we believe about ourselves, about our situations, about our faith, whatever it may be. So I broke this down. I did something different. We're going to just a little experiment. I broke it down into three phrases. And these three phrases represent, the first two phrases actually represent the, number one, the reality before the storm for, or the tribulation for the disciples, where they thought they were. The second, where they definitely were in the midst of the storm. And then the third, where Jesus says we can be. So the possibility of a certain reality as we're going through these struggles. And then an overall 
approach to life that you and I should have. And they're all represented by these phrases that I've put here in this outline. So hopefully I communicate this well. We'll see. The first phrase, we've got this. We've got this. Verses 29 through 30. So remember, Jesus had just said, there's coming a time when I'll speak to you plainly. And guess what? The disciples think it's right now. His disciples said, lo, now you are speaking plainly. You are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Emphasis Mayan on those words. This guy's name is Christian Coleman, the guy in the center there. How many people would want to challenge Christian Coleman to a race? Think they win. I might be tempted, right? Just to be like, hey. Well, guess what? He, so he's the world champion in the men's 100 meters. And from time, from time to time, people approach this man, this specimen of an athlete, and ask him to race. As a matter of fact, one time, someone came up and they said, hey, are you, you're Christian Coleman, right? And he's like, yeah. And they go, do you want to race? And they were in the middle of a mall. So he was like, well, no, obviously not. And, and what the author says is it's a, remarkable, uh, a remarkably common occurrence that many athletes, many sprinters actually um, have average citizens with no training or background whatsoever in running come up to them and they challenge them to a race. There was Karsten Warholm. He's the 26-year-old world record holder in the 400-meter hurdles. And he works out at a public indoor facility in Oslo, Norway. And he was in a training session and a man who wasn't even dressed in running clothes came up to him and said, do you want to race? And the guy said, well, I was going to run anyway, so let's get to it. And then what happened was the guy was utterly humiliated and Destroyed the man, and guess what the man said? He said, well, I had a, I had a bad start. <laughs> it, it's funny, because when I worked in Long Creek, the, uh, the kids knew I was a ping-pong player, and they knew I was a good ping-pong player, so what did they do? They challenged me all the time, and I kind of was a little mean, but I was trying to teach them a lesson, so what I would do is I, I would start out playing with my opposite hand, my non-dominant hand. And I'd keep it a little close, and they'd be like, you're not so good. And I'd be like, I got a secret. And I'd switch hands, and it would, and they'd be like, I hate you. But it was a good lesson for them. Why? Because they overassessed themselves. They, they had a false confidence. And guess what? We do that all the time, don't we? That's exactly what the disciples are doing right here. Where is their confidence in themselves, in what they understand. They think that they have come to a point of where they've gotten it. Listen to what, listen to what, it's, it's actually humorous because Jesus, Jesus is telling them 
about a time that's coming, what is, what is the most important part about that time? The Holy Spirit. How are we to understand and grasp truth? The Holy Spirit. We cannot truly do it apart from the Holy Spirit. But guess what? These guys, they're already there. That's what they say. They say, now we know. Now we know. Now, granted, I think they're very, very sincere. And I think they were growing in their knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ, without a doubt. But they have this false confidence. Now we know. And we have no need to ask you any more questions. We have, we've arrived. We, we believe. We're there. We're good to go, Jesus. We get it. And we can see right after this what that looks like. They think that they are experts. D.A. Carson, I think, sums it up very, very well. He says, No misunderstanding is more pathetic than that which thinks it no longer exists. So here the disciples think that they have come to the place that Jesus had just said it's going to be when? In a little bit. It's going to happen. But now the disciples actually think that it's right now. And you and I have to be really, really careful if we're saying this. We've got this. Because this is an attitude of the world. And guess what? We don't have this. And what we, what we also need to see here is that knowledge, knowledge puffs up. And knowledge, just because you and I may have a lot of knowledge of the faith, does not mean we have faith. There is an important application of that knowledge in our faith. We may have a lot of understanding, but that doesn't mean we have a lot of faith. But that's where they end up. We believe. We've got faith, Lord. We believe. This is not the first time that they have assessed themselves incorrectly. Peter said it, I'm going to die with you. The other gospels tell us that the other disciples said, we're in it to the end, Lord. Let's go. We're ready. Where's their confidence? Right here. I remember when I was in Bible college, I might have shared this before, and if I could go back in time, I would have a long conversation with myself. But there was a point in time when I didn't want to finish my, the bachelor's part of my degree, and I was just going to get my associate's degree. Why? Because I thought I arrived. I thought I had it. I thought I was smart enough. And I was just taking knowledge and thinking, now I have the ability to go out and plant a church and do what I want, and, and I got this. And the other people, don't, they don't know what they're doing. And I was arrogant a little prideful, overconfident. And now, after years in the ministry, I, I'd go back and slap me in the face and be like, you have no idea what you're about to face. Because the, the trials of life are going to test that knowledge when we apply it, right? Is, that's, that's what it's all about. It's going to test our faith.
And here's what false confidence looks like. We think we understand. We think we've arrived. And being a disciple of Jesus Christ, and I hope we all realize that, we've never come to a point where we know it all. We have to understand that. We're going to keep on learning and learning and learning. And a disciple of Jesus Christ approaches it with humility, knowing that we, we're not going to see fully. There, there are some things we're, we're never, we may never get. And we need to humbly depend upon who Jesus is talking about, the Holy Spirit, to really understand, to really help us apply our faith, and to get us through those difficult times, not ourselves, not our knowledge. And then we think we have no more questions, which is absolutely crazy. We have no more questions. Jesus, we have no need to ask you any more questions. We're good to go. And we think, ultimately, our faith is strong. This this is a, a warning. There's always warnings about being confident in the wrong person or things and what happens. And Jesus is actually going to tell them exactly where the reality that they really, truly are in. Here they falsely assess their understanding and their faith. And they reflect an attitude of the world. And like I said, I, I'm sure that, that they were sincere. But Jesus knows, lets them know exactly where they stand, and it's not with him. It's not with him. The second phrase, every man for himself, verses 31. And now, they might not have said that, but maybe in their own minds they, they said that. So I, this is added. This is extra biblical. So Jesus answered them and said, do you, do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. This is called the golden-winged warbler. How many birders are there in the congregation? I'm a birder. I like birds, yep. Have a little bird book. Look it up. Check it off, yep. This is the golden-winged warbler. Um, and, and these birds were, were being studied as, as they were um, uh, giving birth to, to their babies. And as they were being studied, after, after they had had the babies and had all the nests and everything all already, the, the scientists realized that they started to all leave. And what was discovered, these birds don't weigh much at all. They weigh less than actually two nickels. So that's a pretty, pretty light bird. And what was discovered is that they have this sense that is built in in them, and other birds do, that they can sense when a storm comes. But what was kind of crazy is they had just had their children. They sensed that this storm was coming, and they flew 900 miles, leaving their children in the nest to deal with the chaos that ensued from a devastating supercell storm. So I'm not, it's pretty sad, I'm not sure if any of those, those birds survived, but they flew, and then I think they later on returned afterwards. 
Now, the disciples don't have a, a uh, pre-warning system, but Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. And the disciples don't leave babies, but they leave Jesus behind. And they flee from the storm. Notice what Jesus says here. Maybe, maybe they meant to say, not we believe, but we will leave, because that's exactly what they did. And notice the word that Jesus picks up on. It's faith. It's belief. And he says it, and he kind of, this is kind of like a gentle rebuke. Because here they are, they're professing faith. We, we get it, Lord. We understand, Lord. We believe. We're with you. And Jesus says, really? Now you believe now? He might have been saying, well, it's about time because we've been talking about faith this entire, entire time. I'm about to go to the cross. I've been with you for three years and now you believe. But what he is saying is, I'm going to show you what that belief looks like. And that belief kind of evaporates with the mist in the garden. That's what your faith looks like, guys. That's what your belief looks like. Now you believe? Really? Because you're going to run. You're going to run away. You're going to flee from me. You're going to leave me all alone, but I'm not alone. And each and every single one of you is going to go into the comforts of your own home. We have to be really careful when we think we stand because it's at that point that we fall. That's throughout Scripture. And we have to be careful at who we're trusting in because if we're trusting in ourselves, if we're trusting in our knowledge, and if we're not having our confidence placed in the person of Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit, this is what happens. And we have to see that faith is something that is much, much more than knowledge. It's commitment to the person of Jesus Christ in the middle of storms and trials and tribulations. They ran away from him. They evacuated. They escaped reality. We believe? Do we? We believe? Jesus says, this is what your belief looks like. And we have to remember, this is when they did not have the Holy Spirit. They run in the opposite direction of Jesus and leave him in the hands of wicked men. And I think that there's something that has to be pointed out here. There, this phrase, to each his own home, should really, really get our attention. And as I say this, I just, I just want you to know that I'm preaching to myself. But the church has to ask itself a question. The disciples were facing something dangerous. These were, these were guards with with swords, they knew the outcome. There was a threat upon their lives. So we can give them a little break, can't we? We can, 
We can say, yeah, that's, that's a tough, tough situation. And all their previous commitment or claims to commitment, yeah, they're challenged at that point. They were facing a very, very difficult situation. Let me ask us something. If, if we're not facing that situation in our current culture, and we now go to our own homes and go into our own stuff and follow our own agenda and follow our own priorities, and it's not hard like this, what makes us think that when it gets hard, we're going to be any better? To go into their own homes means they go in and follow their own things. They, they get involved in their own stuff. They go into the comfort and security of a very, very safe place. And they leave Jesus standing alone. Jesus, you've got this. We're going to come back when things clear up. We're going to come back when things get easier. And, and granted, there's, there's a discouragement and probably... They're, they're shocked at this point, and they think it's all over with, and they get, they're, they're running for their lives. But, but I think we really got to ask ourselves, folks, if, if we're not standing with Jesus when times are easy in the public square, what makes us think we're going to stand with him when things get really difficult? We won't. We, we're kidding ourselves. And if, we, if we're abandoning Jesus to his mission and we're going about our own little missions and, and fulfilling our own personal agenda and, and retreating to the comforts of our own home so that we can hang out and watch TV or play games or whatever it may be, what makes us think that we're going to do it when things are harder? If we're, don't, if we're not doing it when it's easy, we're probably not going to do it when, when it's harder. And we have to keep asking ourselves that question. Am I retreating too much into my own things in life? Or am I prioritizing the work of Jesus Christ? And I have to ask myself the same question. Because I like my own home. I like being there. And it doesn't mean we can't do those things. But when things get tough, what's it going to look like? How much me time do we have now? And how much time are we giving to our Lord? Or are we letting them stand all alone like they did? Not only do they leave Jesus, but they leave each other. They leave each other. We let them all fend for themselves. So we leave Jesus, we leave the church, and we go into our own stuff. And we come back when the sky's clear. Trials reveal a few things about us. Pressure reveals things. And, and persecution and tribulation in the Christian faith reveals things. It reveals our foundation, it reveals our priorities, and it reveals our weaknesses. And, and they needed to see this. The disciples needed to see it, you and I need to see it. 
And we need to see that sometimes we can be just as guilty. Even when times aren't difficult, we just go into our own things. Or maybe some ministries are hard. Maybe we don't want to deal with people. Maybe we don't want to give up our own time. Maybe we have other priorities or goals in life, each to his own home. Jesus, you take care of your kingdom. You take care of your church. We'll come back when we have a little bit more time and things aren't as hard. There's another point, though, that we have to see. And, 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 and part of it, too, is the discouragement that we face that, that when we think we're losing, when we think Satan is winning. But notice what Jesus says, the time is coming for you to be scattered. This needed to happen. This is prophesied in, in, in Zechariah 12.7 when he says you strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. Matthew says in his gospel that this took place to fulfill scriptures. Jesus needed to stand alone because Jesus is the only one who could face Satan one-on-one. Jesus is the only one who can win this victory. And sometimes we look at, we look at the, these trials and these tribulations and these storms in our life, and what does it look like? It looks like who's winning? looks like Satan's winning. And again, we get discouraged and we do what? I'm just going to go home. I'm not going to bother. It's too much. We're losing. But it's in this very moment when God's plan is being what? Accomplished. They needed to be scattered. And, and, and I think the early church and you and I needed to see that. Because one commentator says this, and it, it's, it's pretty important. It's part of the character and the genius of the church that its founding members or foundation members were discredited men. It owed its existence not to their faith, not to their courage, not to their virtue, but it owed its existence to what Christ had done through them and with them. And this they could never forget. Jesus needed to stand alone because it's in Christ alone that you and I stand. Men, women are going to fail. We're going to fail. And our faith does not rest in us. Our faith rests in Jesus Christ. And the manner in which Jesus faced this storm and the calmness and trust that he had, because his confidence was that he wasn't alone. His confidence was in God. And he faced this trial with complete calmness and peace. And that's the same thing that he offers to you and me. Hence the third and final phrase, the the reality that we can have when we're in the middle of it 
is a reality of peace, and Jesus says you may have peace. Verse 33. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. There's a... uh, a word of the year that was given by Collins English Dictionary. They revealed the 2022 word of the year. This word is permacrisis. So it's a new word. It's a noun that is defined by the UK-based publisher Harper Collins as an extended period of instability, insecurity, especially one resulting from a series of catastrophic events. A blog post on the Collins Dictionary website noted that this term rings true because of what we are facing in our world today. The war in Ukraine, different climate challenges, political instability, the surge of inflation, etc., etc., etc. It embodies a dizzying sense of lurching from one unprecedented event to another as we all wonder what horror lies around the corner. Does that describe, I think it describes current reality. Jesus has actually said this long before Harper Collins or any of these people uh, came out. He actually says, you will have what? A permacrisis. You will have tribulation. So I, I've broken this down, and if we, if, we, if we look at it, then you look at it. So it's a, I know, sorry. It's a Venn diagram, if anyone. All right, that's flying right over. <laughs> So listen, here's what Jesus, listen to what Jesus is saying. So we, we, we exist in two spheres or two realms of reality. Uh, we exist in Christ and in this world. Now, we should, the dominant sphere should be where? In Jesus Christ. That should be the dominant one. However, because of the things that we face in this world, we often live in the tribulation sphere, and we are overcome by that. Now, notice he says, in the world, you what? You will have trouble. So, this is one of the first things that we need to see here. We, we are not going to exist in this world, and specifically, if we are in Christ, we are going to have more trouble than the rest of this world. But even in this world in general, you, we live in what? Tribulation. It's constant Tribulation, it's a permanent crisis that we find ourselves in. There's no escaping it. But that's what so many people want to do. And they do that in all of these different ways. We try to escape reality. We try to flee from trouble. We try to, try to numb ourselves to the pain that's around us. And, and Jesus says, you can't. This is what life in the world is. And we see that even more in our culture. We're raising a generation that we're not allowing to experience reality at all. We're trying to protect them from everything. 
What Jesus promises here is he says, I'm not, I'm not getting rid of the storms. I can't. He can, but he's not going to because he has a purpose for them. What does he say? In the middle of it, I can give you peace. I can give you a sense of assurance, of harmony, of wholeness, of comfort, and of courage. I know right now in this congregation, there's, there's a lot of storms that I want to take away from people. A lot of trials, a lot of tribulations. Jesus says he can calm the storms in our hearts and in our minds. He can give us a peace. He can comfort us as we stand in the middle of them. And what I think he's saying when he says, in me, so that's the, that should be the dominant sphere that we find ourselves in. We should be living in Christ. We should be abiding in him. It doesn't mean that just being a believer in Christ is going to offer us that peace. The in me is the abiding. He's going back to the abiding. The more that you and I are abiding in Christ, the more peace that we are going to have as we face the trials and tribulations and persecutions of this world. And those trials and tribulations and persecutions increase when we are in Christ. So if you want less trial and tribulation in your life, what do you do? Separate yourself from Jesus Christ. I'm not telling you to do that, but I'm saying if you want less trial and tribulation, because even Paul later on is going to say, if you try to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. And, and maybe many Christians want to take the other way out. Maybe we don't want the trials, we don't want the tribulations, so what do we do? Well, we'll just kind of be sideline Christians. We'll be in Jesus when it's easy. We'll be in Jesus when it's comfortable. But as soon as Jesus starts, you know, messing with my life, asking me to change, asking me to give up sin, I, I'm not going to go there because there's just too much, too much trouble. Jesus is saying that when you're abiding in me, and specifically, what does he say? He says this is why he spoke these things. So, so where do we find that peace? It's by abiding in him through his word. So everything that he has spoken to them, he's telling them for a reason, so that they may have this peace, this, this comfort. They're going to have the tribulation, but by reminding themselves of his words, of everything that he's saying in this discourse, they can have a peace. The world, we're going to have the trouble, and we find ourselves that we can be, have both. That Jesus offers us a peace in the pressure. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but it is assurance that is given to us in Jesus Christ. And we see that it comes from a knowledge of a true reality. What do you think they were thinking when all of that was happening? They see Jesus being arrested. Again, they think that they're losing, right? 
And that's what can happen to us. We can look at the trials and tribulations and persecutions, and we can look at the world right now, and we can say, man, this doesn't look good. We're losing. But Jesus tells them something. He's already won. And that's the knowledge that we need to apply to to our lives as we find ourselves struggling in the tribulations of this world. That no matter what is happening around us, you and I can have a calm assurance and a courage to ride out this storm because Jesus Christ has already won the victory. And what a time for us as we celebrate Easter next Sunday. How many people have trials and tribulations in their life right now? The whole congregation could raise their hand. How many people look outside this world and it kind of looks like we're losing right now? The enemy's at the gates. Well, we're told that even the gates of hell will not overcome the church, right? Why? Because of what he says here. The very thing that is causing us the trouble, the world, Jesus Christ has already defeated. And that gives us the assurance and the peace that we need. He can calm the storm in our hearts and in our heads. He may not clear the skies, but you can be sure that he's not going to leave you alone. He was abandoned. He was left alone so that you and I would never have to be. What he faced, he faced for us, and he sealed that victory. And you and I never have to face that. Jim Collins, the author of Good to Great, interviewed Admiral Jim Stockdale, the highest-ranking officer in the Hanoi Hilton prisoner of war, during the height of the Vietnam War. Regarding the prisoner of war camp, he was asked, who didn't make it out? Who didn't make it out? He said, oh, that's easy. The optimists. The optimists. I don't understand, responded Collins. The optimists, the optimists were the ones who, who were going to be out by Christmas. He said, Christmas would come, Christmas would go. And then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter. Easter would come, Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving, and then it would be Christmas again, and they would die of a broken heart. Guy says this, it's a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever it might be. We can change that around a little bit too with the holidays. 
We might not get out by this Easter, but it's Easter that guarantees you and I will get out one day. And the overall phrase that I think we need to approach life with, if we go back to the disciples' confidence, I find my confidence to overcome in the one who overcame, Jesus Christ. All of our trust, all of our hope, all of our strength is found in Him. Not in ourselves, not in what we know, but in who we know. We can be assured you and I are going to face a lot of trials, a lot of tribulations. But Jesus tells us we can face them calmly, we can face them with peace, we can face them with courage. Because he's already won. You and I can make it through these trials knowing one day the clouds will clear. And when they do, we'll see the one who stood alone and will stand with him forever. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for these truths that have really penetrated our hearts. Lord, help us not to have faith in ourselves, in our knowledge, in our virtues, but only in Jesus Christ. Lord, whatever it is that we're facing today, help us to know that we can face it with courage and with a peace as we know you, know that one day, because of Easter, because you have overcome in Christ, we know we will too. Give us that hope, that assurance, and encourage our hearts to go forth into this world, not fearfully, but boldly proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ, and to do so no matter what we face, to stand with him as he stood for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.